0: Welcome to Behind the Paranormal, with Paul and Ben Eno. If parasites are just cosmic mosquitoes, as it were, from parallel worlds, why do they react to the name of Jesus? What's up with all that UFO activity in Central Connecticut lately? And what are these strange horn-like sounds being heard all over the world? Hello, and welcome to the 317th edition of Behind the Paranormal with
1: Paul and Ben Eno. I'm Ben, and those questions came from my co-host and partner in the paranormal, and tonight's guest again, my dad. It's the week in a row Uh, again. Sorry, I didn't mean to sound kind of angry about that. Like, oh, tonight's guest again.
0: Well, you know, we open lines anyway, whatever. All
1: right. (laughs) This will be an open line show, and we'll be burrowing into our ever-growing stack of emails, but you're welcome to call in as well, and on any paranormal subject, since we can just talk about anything. So locally, or anywhere from anywhere in the world, it's 401-766-1240. Again, the local numbers, slash anywhere in the world, is 401-766-1240, or toll-free from anywhere in the U.S., 800-449-1240. There was a tremendous response to our two shows on possession and and exorcism, and so many of our emails have to do with that subject. But before we get into that, it's time once again for our weekly paranormal contest. Last week's question was, in what year was a photograph taken of an alleged alien above the Arctic Circle in northern Sweden?
0: Well, astoundingly, nobody got the right answer, which was 2005, and you can see the photos at uh, www.ufocasebook.com slash Uh That's an excellent site, by the way, ufocasebook.com. Um, just a few comments on the photograph uh, from the person who took the picture. Quote, we didn't really take the picture for the alien. We realized afterwards that it was there, something that happens very frequently in this kind of photography. Uh, we were over the Arctic Circle, and we were alone, no more... Th- no one within 50 kilometers. We were traveling in a snowmobile. What you see is, that as the main subject of the photograph was an iced-over river. I don't really have much more on that day. I can say it was the snowmobile was a ride with friends. We were 200 kilometers up to North Circle uh, between Svierge and Norway. S- Svierge is in northern Sweden and the Norwegian border. Uh, the nearest city was Karuna, Sweden. The photo was taken with the Nikon 55400 5 with no zoom, and it was around midday, 20th of December, 2005. It was midday north of the Arctic Circle. is not very bright. Nothing strange happened. It was uh, 20 degrees centigrade below... Uh, 20 below centigrade, that's about, what is it, about four, about four degrees below yeah, zero about, or so? About that. Uh, and silence all around, uh, and Fahrenheit. Silence all around with some wild animals, that's it. Uh, we realized there was something showing in the photo some months later when a friend of ours kept saying there was something strange in that brush, unquote. So that's all there is to it. So check it out again, um, com. Arctic Circle Alien.
1: Okay, so this week's question is a little easier. What writer, who lived from 1842 to 1910, was one of the first American paranormal researchers? Get that right and win a copy of *Turning Home: God, Ghosts, and Human Destiny* by my dad and tonight's guest.
0: Okay. Well, you're the guest tonight too, because you know you respond to these just as much as I do. So. I know. I just said that
1: you were the guest again.
0: All right. Well, again at the end. So. Okay. <laughs> Okay, here's a question, and this is uh, has to do with sounds, and it's from Peter J in Windsor, Ontario. Okay,
1: so Peter writes, "Hi, Paul and Ben, uh, greetings from Windsor, Ontario. I listen to you every week on W O M C F M in Detroit, and uh, you have mentioned us more than once when it comes to these strange sounds that are driving us stir crazy. <laughs> do you have any information on this?"
0: Uh, yes, Peter, we, as you, you say, we have mentioned you several times. You, you, you're the only listening area, I think, that we have in, in North America that actually is having these sounds taking place. And if you look on YouTube, now they're beginning to proliferate, and there's a big discussion going on, uh, between myself, uh, band, of course, uh, Linda Moulton Howe, Whitley Strieber, a number of other well-known people who are, who are t- talking about these sounds. And a number of people have sort of done tests on them. Now, we don't have any, any, any fantastically sophisticated sound equipment, uh, ourselves, just the basic stuff. But if you do take Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla, th- that great old Japanese classic, and you take the sound Godzilla makes and you slow it down to about 30%, you, you kind of get what was recorded in Kiev and Costa Rica and several other places, including Canada, eastern Canada, uh, over uh, a period of time in twenty since 2009. Right? And I, I'm not saying that's what it is. It just sounds awfully kind of suspicious. You know, something just
1: occurred to me. You know how th- th- there's a lot of seismic activity in Japan, right?
0: Oh, yeah. They probably
1: just recorded that, sped it up, and there you go. So Since there there is a- an explanation for this that it's seismic, I mean, that's the closest explanation, scientific explanation anyone will give: is that it's it's size it's like it comes from seismic activity.
0: Well, nobody are you suggesting that the producers of Godzilla recorded and speeded it up? Well, yeah, maybe I well, don't that's know. That's an interesting perspective. I haven't heard that because anything's possible.
1: Well, where do you think they'd get it? I mean, usually, I mean, you could say that they got it from well, they got like, it, they,
0: they, they, they uh, kind of twisted up some sea lion sounds and so I don't know. Well, this isn't Star Wars. I mean, that's what they did for Banthas. <laughs> that's right. Well, I have your superior knowledge of Hollywood's audio proclivities, but I'm not. Well,
1: mean, no, I'm just saying, since, since you said that, so taking taking from your perspective yeah. that they took, that it's like, well, it sounds like Godzilla slowed down. So what if the Japanese recorded the size, like what they heard from the seismic, whatever, and then sped it up and bam, there you go.
0: Well, first of all, we're not sure it's seismic, and secondly, we're not—I'm not aware of the sounds being uh, known at those at that time. Now, mm-hmm. what we're talking about in Windsor, it's not the same sound. Oh, just the most common sounds seem to be these these horns. This is one of the reasons I put that into the original question because these they sound horn-like, and of course, one of the examples I use. Remember when we give talks, and when we actually our you know, and our class starts again at the Promise Learning Connection on, on Saturdays, I'm still not too late to sign up, it. <laughs> one of the slides that we show or one of the, one of the images is of a uh, a photograph taken here in Woonsocket, Rhode Island uh on uh around about Christmas a number of years ago and it's a patch of ice on the sidewalk and it looks if you really look at it it's got the big belly and the hand and the bag of toys and the beard It's Santa Claus you know right yeah and so if uh Uh, And it's just a patch of ice, but your mind will take it and will turn it into something that your eyes can understand, that your brain can understand. I think the ears sometimes do the same thing. Therefore, since this sound is kind of metallic, not the sound they're hearing in Windsor, but the the, the sounds in Kiev and other places that we're talking about, the sound kind of like Godzilla, uh, they sound kind of metallic, they sound kind of industrial. And um, a lot of people believe that this year is it. Okay. Twenty twelve because of the alleged Mayan prophecies. People are going to start saying, Aha, the trumpets of Gabriel <laughs> Okay. Because you wonder if, if some of the ancients didn't hear these sounds. Yeah. And you know, I was we're well, we're doing a show um, on what what's oh yeah you yeah. February nineteenth, we're doing a show with Linda Moulton Howe and Larry Lowe, uh, uh, experts from Arizona. On, it's entitled Gabriel's trumpet, and we're going to look. We're going to play some of these sounds, and we're going to be able to uh, analyze them from whatever perspective this group of us that's talking about them can can, can accomplish. But this is um, yeah, yeah. It's just it's it sounds metallic. If they are trumpets, the the uh, whoever's playing them did not go to Juilliard, I will say. And uh, it's it's a matter of interpretation. A lot of people say, aha, it's the biblical trumpets of Gabriel or the end of the world." Well, I mean, if it is seismic. I can just see these guys, you know, several thousand years ago, or four or five thousand years, hearing these things, not knowing what they were, and saying, aha, it's coming from the gods. And then putting them into the ancient literature, including the Bible, as possibly uh, something that, that, you know, you, I can just sort of see that happening.
1: Yeah, I can I can see that. I don't know. Uh, it makes me think of the Gary Larson cartoon with the welcome to heaven, here's your harp, and then it's like welcome to hell, here's your accordion. Like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's all I can think of, even though that has nothing to yeah, do with old this. Yeah, good
0: the far side. Ugh. But actually, to get to the Windsor sounds, they are not metallic like that. They seem to be more in line with what has become known as the Taos hum, after the city of Taos, New Mexico, where it was first, I, I suppose, first recorded. And its its it's like a truck uh diesel truck um, idling in the distance that's kind of what it sounds like but it just keeps going on and on and you can't tell where it's coming from and and, and I know in Windsor as we've had several people from listeners from there say it's, dri- it's driving them buggy they can't sleep so, not everybody but i mean it's it, and Windsor's not a small town it's right across the uh, the Detroit River from Detroit <laughs> where our station uh, is there and it's it's just um it's it's driving them nuts there is, oddly enough, an island on the American side of the Detroit River in that vicinity. Um, I forget what it's called, but it's, it's supposedly owned by a United States Steel Corporation. And it's got all kinds of government-like signs around it that says, don't take any pictures, don't dare step foot over this fence, that kind of thing. <laughs> and uh, there has been some speculation that something weird is going on there and that some of these sounds are man-made. The whole HARP thing, for instance. HARP, that's H-A-A-R-P, is an acronym for something I'm not sure what. I'd have to look it up. But supposedly, it's a government operation in Alaska that has something to do with controlling the weather.
1: Oh, yeah, well, the random little, um, whats a, what are those things called? The little, little antenna, like, sticking up. And, oh, yeah, like, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah no. out of the ice. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, that it's kind of thing. Yeah, yeah,
0: and, and it's, it's, or uh, the weather and or hurricanes. Uh, I mean, not very uh earthquakes. So uh, who knows what's going on? Uh, I, I don't know. But uh, these are all speculations. So as far as what these sounds are, we just don't know. Um, I would be a little more skeptical about them had I not grown up myself around the Moodis noises in Connecticut. And the Moodis is a town is not all that far from where we're, where we're sit, sitting today, and it's uh, in the, rural Connecticut. And yeah, have, how far uh, away is it? What? How far away is it? From here, uh, from Woonsocket, we Northern Rhode Island. About I don't know, uh, forty miles, forty-five miles. It's maybe. too far. We just stay overnight. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We're Rhode Islanders. We you go five miles. You stay overnight. Anyway, these sounds are different. Even they're, they're not metallic, and they're not like the humming sound. They're, they're more like rocks banging together or artillery fire in the background. And they have been. They were known to the natives, who blamed it on a guy, um, a Macamutis, who was a not-so-nice sort of demonic sort of fellow, supposedly lived in a cave, even though now I think he has the state park named after him. But um, <laughs> In any case, it's a lovely area, but you hear once in a while, these, these banging sounds. And it's been uh, researched by the University of Connecticut for many, many years, and they've pretty much decided that it's seismic. And, I mean, it certainly sounds like it would be seismic. And you do hear these banging or booming sounds in other parts of, of North America as well or and around the world. In Siberia, there have been some recordings. And it's uh, very probably seismic. And if you look at the, the geology, people think New England is very calm uh, that way uh, when it comes to earthquakes and things. And, you know, when we, we think of earthquakes, we think of the of California. Well, the fact is that we sit on a huge... A grand, I guess it's well. I guess it's it's an extension of the Canadian Shield geologically, so that earthquakes in this area are felt over very very wide areas, as opposed to California, where you can have something epicenter in some area just outside Los Angeles, and only that area is really affected uh, very uh, very seriously. But uh, we had a, a quake. I think it was 1735 that, that knocked down most of Boston. A lot of people don't realize that. Mm. And I learned this when I was in the Coast Guard and I was uh, operating out of the, the the base in Boston, and uh, the, the uh, support center for the ships looked really strange. I said, "Well, what's with this?" And they said, "Well, it's it's the building is earthquake proof." I said, "We need that in Boston for?" I said, "Well, and then he, this whoever was taught, this officer was talking to me knew all about the earthquake." Potential of of New England. So this area where the Moodus noises takes place is full of weird little faults. There's the Honey Hill Fault in central Connecticut and all these strange little things. And we have had quakes that we can feel here. Um, Well, we just had one recently, the the whole East Coast one. Oh, yeah. Originated in Virginia. We felt it all the way up here. If it had really let loose, there would be serious problems on the whole East Coast. Oh, yeah. So anyway, these sounds may very well be seismic, and if they are, I don't find it particularly reassuring that they're being uh, heard all over the world.
1: Yeah, I I wouldn't find it too reassuring either, but to answer his question, no, we don't really know much about it. (laughs)
0: No, that's a lengthy answer, but I do, uh, again, direct your attention to February 19th, Uh, that's on our CBS station, you'll be able to hear it in in, uh, Windsor, out of the Detroit station there. Um, and we're also in Seattle and um, Boston and Pittsburgh and online, and you'll be able to hear it there as well. Um, Gabriel's trumpet is going to be the title of it. We'll have Linda Moulton Howe and Larry Lowe talking about these sounds. We'll be playing some recordings as well. Now, I do warn you before we leave that subject that YouTube is full of copycats. Yeah. And if you look at several of these recordings, I'm thinking of one particularly from Kansas, They are exactly the same sounds and tones. For example, the guy said he recorded it, uh, in one case, on his cell phone, but it's a stereo sound, and the cell phone sound is not, and uh, it it doesn't add up. So there are a lot of copycats out there. So just beware of that, and not to get too upset about some of these things. Don't trust the internet. Well, no, it has its double-edged sword capability. Mm, Okay, here we are on a different subject. Uh, Going back, uh, this is about Holy Water, and it's from Kay Yang in Atlanta, Georgia.
1: Okay, so uh Kay writes, Hi Paul, in your books you talk about using holy water in some cases. How come that and other Christian objects work in some cases and not in others? And you sometimes talk about ISIS. Does she have to do with anything? <laughs> love you and Ben. Ben is so cute.
0: I <laughs> really does say that. You didn't make it up.
1: No, oh, no, I
0: didn't. Yeah. Yes,
1: yes, I, I yeah. love making up facts about myself. Yes,
0: I <laughs> say... Okay. I love making up pains by myself. Well, a lot of people think you're cute. Well, I mean, I'm not. Know, well, so it's, it's, you know, it's, it's back okay. to the subject. Okay. Well, this obviously comes from our uh, series we did here on uh, WON on uh, possession and exorcism over the last two weeks. We did a two-part series, and there are a lot of things that kind of, in my experience, uh, which goes. Back pretty far of uh, with this stuff that doesn 't really add up sometimes, uh, the use of holy water, for example, I think she might be referring to several cases in uh, particularly footsteps in the attic when I was uh, recommending the use of holy water. when you go into cases where negative things seem to be happening and i 'm not just talking about possession or exorcism, but cases that involve a negative what we call parasites or negative entities that are feeding off the negative energy in a family or on a person, uh, I, I will sum, you, if one of the first things you look at, of course, is the people who are experiencing this. Uh, and one of the questions you ask is, uh, of course, what's the medical history? What's going on? Who besides you is seeing or hearing these things? And what is your religious persuasion? Because people's belief systems have a lot to do not only with how their lives go, but with how they interact with the paranormal. Faith is a very powerful thing. It's extremely powerful. So that when holy water is recommended by the likes of us, it's generally because people have a belief in it. It means something to them. They might not necessarily be Roman Catholics. Holy water has a significance for a lot of people. And and there's holy water outside of Christianity. And why is that? I think any, any ancient religion... Realizes, uh, down deep somehow that we're looking at one of the, the original elements here, water. Earth, air, fire, and water were considered by the ancient Greeks to be, and, and those before them to be four, the four elements of which the earth was mm. made. Uh, if you look at it scientifically, hydrogen and oxygen, hydrogen is the basic building block of, of the known material universe. It's pretty basic stuff. And when you have a bunch of people gathered around during a uh, the orthodox do a lot of uh, water blessings, yeah and everyone's gathered around in, in, in love and positive and you're, and you're infusing this positive energy into this water, that means something, you know yeah, and so uh, coupled with someone's faith, that becomes a powerful weapon, and people ask, okay uh you bring in to an exorcism a cross. Now I've never seen an exorcism on a person where the cross actually, you know, burns their forehead and all this silly Hollywood stuff that you see. But there are some dramatic effects at times. And the the, the thing is that it's I, I often cite, you know, it works because of your faith. Jesus went to Nazareth, and the gospel says he couldn't perform any miracles there because nobody believed in him. They known him since he was a kid, and they say you know and uh, so that, that it 's not like he goes in and forces himself on people in the gospels. the same thing in life you accept it, you have faith in it, it couples with the natural defense mechanisms you have against parasites and, and we just like we have, we have uh, um, defenses against certain diseases. We have immunities built into us because of our experience with diseases and our bodies develop antibodies and things that... that, that um, well, the perfect example, of course, when, when the Europeans came to America, the, a lot of the natives got sick because they didn't have the immunity to the diseases the Europeans brought. I often wonder why didn't the... Europeans get native diseases. I don't know. Maybe some of them did. But anyway, the point being that we have, uh, have built up immunities to certain parasitical attacks as well, oddly enough. It may not be physical and it may be spiritual, but sure enough, when you couple it with something you believe in, you have a tremendous weapon. I've seen... Uh, Stuffed animals work for little children who are frightened in cases especially in poltergeist cases there 's a certain uh, stuffed bear or something that they really have they, they have a lot of love for it they have a lot of they interact with it psychically, so to speak or psychologically, and it helps keep parasites away so it depends what your belief system is if you don 't believe in holy water it 's probably not going to work for you so the question is why do these things um, Why do Christian objects work in some cases and not others? I know this bothers people, but the fact is they don't always work because the faith isn't there. And one thing we pointed out during our series was it was really odd that some of the the most, uh, I don't know, people who who have the worst experiences with these things, the people who have the worst experiences with poltergeists and the worst cases I've ever run into are very devout people. It was because of my position as a seminary student, they happen to be Roman Catholics. But shouldn't these people be protected by their faith? But if you looked at their faith, it was an old-time old, kind, old time kind of deteriorated faith based on fear. You know, if I eat a hot dog on Friday, I'll go to hell, that kind of thing. And uh, so that's not going to protect you. So some of the worst demon attacks, if you want to use the term demon instead of parasite, were on people who had the most faith, seemingly. So it's a matter of keeping a positive spirituality, having a positive belief system, keeping your sort of stiff upper lip, as they say, and, and keeping it positive, keeping humor, and then these things really can't touch you. And, and I, the whole series, the point of the series, I hope I got across, was that you have defenses against these things, and there's no reason to be afraid because of it, because especially if we stick together. So anyway, I uh, hope that answers your question, uh, K. Uh, and it's uh, or should, well, K is just an initial. So anyway, um, so, uh, oh, ISIS. Yeah, you asked about ISIS. Okay, ISIS. Of course, for those of you who do not know, was a very ancient Egyptian well, supposedly Egyptian goddess who was worshipped and loved all over the Mediterranean area, area and is still remembered today. Many people will say, and this is very controversial, that the Virgin Mary is just another form of ISIS I know for a fact and I put this in my last book that Muslim women in Egypt uh, will, will go especially in the area of Dendera Egypt will go to a beautiful ancient Egyptian ruin wall painting that still has the colors pretty well um, very bright and everything but it's ISIS and they will go when they want to have children and they will leave a, a, a bunch of vegetables there as an offering for her and they say it usually works Because sometimes, um, you know, some cultures—if you don't have children, you're in trouble. You know, so in any case, uh, they say they'll—they'll tell—they told someone I know who told me they said, "Well, we don't know who she is, but she's a good lady." So uh, I I think that means a lot. Uh, Her name I have seen is unbelievably powerful in fighting off parasites. Now, some who are cynics or true believers in other things will say, well, that's because she's a demon herself. Well, I don't believe that for a second. I used to believe it uh, back when I, before I saw how broad and wide the understanding of the paranormal can become. But she is very, very special. So, I, uh, you know, what does she have to do with anything? Uh, well, I suppose that's, that's just something that you have to find out for yourself, Kay. I don't know. Um, She means a lot to a lot of men and women today. And again, sometimes these are just names. People have great devotions to the Virgin Mary, who also has unbelievable power in this. Now, a lot of people of Protestant persuasion would get upset. Ah, you know, you're taking attention away from Jesus. Well, these are all very powerful helpers for us. Jesus, of course, being my own best personal friend, you know, from uh, the first um, oldest personal friend, certainly. Uh, so, anyway, these are all things that mean. But it's, you have to have the faith. That's the point. Uh, these are not just weapons for you to pick up and use. They have to mean. They have to mesh with your personality. I suppose the best way to describe it is: there's a term in theology known as synergy, not S I N S Y N, and what it means is working together with God. Nothing stands in isolation. That's the whole uh, point of our multiverse ideas and our multiverse living uh, pointers that we sometimes give. Everything stands together. You stand together with God. You stand together with Jesus. You stand together with ISIS. Whoever touches you the most, and these parasites cannot harm you. That's the thing. So there is a lot of power there. You just have to know how to use it. Okay, hope that was clear. This is um, this is from Maggie G. In, oh, local, Uxbridge, Massachusetts.
1: Okay, so Maggie writes, Hi, Paul and Ben. I heard both your shows on demonic possession on my way home from work over the last two Mondays. When I got home, I actually sat in the driveway and listened to the rest of the show rather than miss any of it. Anyhow, I have all kinds of questions. If you are a parent and you suspect one of your children is possessed, what do you do? Can possession come and go? In other words, can someone be possessed, then the demon goes away and comes back later in life? Thanks, and keep up the good work, or great work, sorry.
0: Oh. <laughs> All right, let's get it right. Okay, well, well uh, thank you for the question, Maggie. Uh, we are going to just take a quick break here, and then we'll get back to these rather interesting and good and complicated questions. So you are listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on W O O 1240 AM and onworldwide.com in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley. We'll be right back.
1: Hello, everyone. My name is Bill Bruno, and I would like you to join me and my friends every Sunday afternoon from 1 to 4, because the oldies are back on W-O-O-N. The Memory Lane Show, every Sunday afternoon from 1 to 4. Tell your friends that the oldies are
0: back on W O O N Radio And as they used to say in radio, a word from our sponsor. Okay, Kindle, Amazon Kindle is uh, in the works here. We got Kindle Fire just released in November. Big, big headed Christmas. As a matter of fact, uh, Jonathan, uh, my older son, Ben's older brother, who works. Uh, at at a re- in retail, says so it was one of the biggest sellers, uh, very popular item. Uh, the number the number one most wished for product on Amazon.com certainly. 199 dollars, and you get all kinds of things, not only books, including four of my books. Uh, you get um, the magazines, newspapers, and all sorts of uh, movies, apps, and uh, games, and more, and just name it. And now Amazon is offering an Amazon Kindle gift card. Which you can learn more about at Amazon.com, and people can use that to buy what for, to buy the apps and the things that you, for the Kindle Fire you gave them at Christmas time or whatever, and so that would be something uh, that makes a nice gift, certainly for Valentine's Day as well. Uh, Kindle, of course, itself you don't have to go with the Kindle Fire, but Kindle is as low as seventy-nine dollars, and uh, you can get up up to a million, um, and that's no exaggeration. Uh, books and publications and magazines, all sorts of newspapers and things, uh, and uh, be able to uh, use that instead of the uh, lengthy trips to the bookstore that cost you money and gas and, and uh, paying extra for printed material. But anyway, it's a sweet deal, so check it out at Staples and at Amazon.com. Amazon Kindle Fire and the regular Amazon Kindle as well, and all the little accessories they're starting to come up with to go with it.
1: So welcome back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. And we just started, we just stated a question from, well not stated, we got a question from a woman named Maggie in Oxbridge, Massachusetts, and we she asked about possession, if it, if it comes and goes, but before we get back to that, I'd like to give the numbers for tonight once again. So locally, or from anywhere in the world, the number is 401-766-1240. Again, that's 401 766 1240 and from anywhere else in the United States it's 800 449 again 800
0: 449 okay maggie asks some very difficult questions here if you are a parent you suspect that one of your children is possessed what do you do now i think all of us parents have thought gee what a little devil you know from time to time <laughs> you know uh, Thanks, Ted. <laughs> well, I don't know, I, you were two years old to find you up in trees, and oh, you, you, every gray I, hair in my beard has your name I on it. I did send you to the hospital a few times. Well, that was because you poked me, you were, you were like six months old, you poked me in the eye, and scratched my cornea. <laughs> sorry. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a bit of a challenge, but you turned out okay. <laughs> so well, in any case...
1: I'd like to think so, at least.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so in any case, it's a very difficult thing, the... the criteria we gave for judging that someone is possessed, and it is a very, the overt knockdown drag out possession that we're talking about is is relatively rare. Supposedly, at least one of the layers of the stories you get from the Vatican is that they believe it's increasing. But generally, it is relatively rare. What you look for, and again, I was working with this in the context of psychiatric hospitals in several states, was Phenomena occurring outside the person. I mentioned one case in which this young girl who was exercised three times, and I did not think it was a good idea, uh, was was, uh, having uh, phenomena such as things falling off shelves in her hospital room. Uh, Things would rise off tables. Uh, Things obviously that she had no physical control over would occur. So that's one thing you look for. You look for um, knowledge that they would have no way of knowing. This is one of the things, as we mentioned ego was a problem when parasites come after you. If anything, and Ben will tell you this too, if anything feeds, how would you put it? What do you, what do you mean? Well, if anything feeds your ego, watch out. Oh, up. yeah, yeah, if any, I, I didn't know where you were
1: going with that. Yeah, if, if it, if you're like, oh, ask for angel for help, and angel comes out, it's like, you're all powerful, That that's just, That's not an angel?
0: Oh, you're very special or something. And this is the problem, I think, that's happening. A lot of these shows about ghost hunting and even that, even if they don't mean to, are attracting a lot of their audience, which consists, I think, mostly of young teenage girls, uh, to try things out in the occult. And that's usually a Ouija board or some other tactic that punches holes in space-time where you're not supposed to be and can ring the dinner bell for these these parasites. And they come in, and, and if they start telling you that you are... Uh, very special, and you might say, "Well, gee, I flunked math, but I have a cosmic friend who was immortal," and all that, that, that really can boost your ego. And of course, the thing, all the thing's doing is lining you up to be a hot lunch. So th- that's that's to be. Uh, if you have a child who is involved in the occult, that could be a problem. All right, but of course, it doesn't necessarily end up in possession. Yeah, there's, cer-
1: there's a certain amount of agreement on the um, possessees, end. yeah, so if if the kids messing around with stuff they shouldn't be messing around with yes that'll that'll definitely open up some doors they don't want to be opened
0: and uh, you know we've certainly seen we've seen that ourselves you know especially and, and i've seen uh, many times kids who are not so frightened or not not so concerned about even when stuff's flying around the room around them and they they're, they think it's pretty cool. Look at the attention they're getting. Yeah. Uh, I'm thinking particularly, I always go back to that case in 1974 in Bridgeport, Connecticut. You had network reporters in the house. This is the most exciting thing that ever happened to this kid. So, uh, th- that, that can be a problem, a matter of ego. Uh, and when you have this great knowledge somehow that, that comes to you, I, I think it's a multiversal phenomenon, but, uh, people will often, um, no languages that they didn't know before. This kind of thing. Now, on the other hand, I've seen this happen in good situations. Yeah. For example, I often cite the, the, the death, of the, the beautiful uh, passing or translation of a man in this same hospital who was very old, paralyzed, and suddenly sat up, which he couldn't physically do, and, and, said, and looked off into the distance and said, Abba, Ba, which is Hebrew for Daddy's coming. It's an intimate term for father." And this man, he he was an old Irish guy, you know, had worked on the the docks in uh, Augsburg, New York. He didn't know Hebrew. And then he just passed right then and there. It was was a beautiful thing. So that was kind of an example of a language. So you have to be discerning here and and, uh, the context of what's going on. I think you also cannot make such a judgment yourself. The trouble is, who do you go to? Ask about these things. Can you go to your parish priest or to your pastor or to your minister and say, "I'm afraid my my child has is at least being bothered by a a, a, well by the term probably demon, or is being um, somehow uh, harassed or even possessed by this." I mean, how how do you? A lot of these people don't know about this. As I've often said, contrary to popular belief, Roman Catholic seminarians, at least in my day and as far as I know today, are not routinely trained in how to handle these things. They're told to refer it to a certain priest in the diocese, who was the diocesan exorcist, who will be able to handle these things. There are certain knowledgeable people. Supposedly now the Vatican is training more people to deal with these things. But you can't say anything that comes out of there with face value, at face value. Yeah. I know people there, and they're not talking, and uh, there's more to this than, than they're letting you see,
1: out see, you you, you'd think... With all the all the controversy that like everybody spews at them, that they'd at
0: least be more open. Well, I think they're better than they used to be. I would say that when they were after me, and they said, "What are you doing?" You know, and I was studying under the best people in the world, and they were still bothering me about it. And I said, "Look, you know, y- you should just tell people what this is about." The movie, The Exorcist, had come out. Everybody was paranoid about that. Everybody was in the church was was upset about the, the, any any mention of it. And, uh, of course, at the time, they were getting more liberal. They were trying to be nice and positive. Everything's happy. Sing Kumbaya. And here comes the the the, uh, the old idea of exorcism and possession again through this movie. And they just flipped. Uh, so instead of being honest and open about what it was, don't worry about it, you know, we deal with it this way, they, they just clammed up. And I got in trouble for talking about it. So in any case, uh, now they may be opening up. Uh, we've had priests and nuns who are fans of this show. We have a, a clergy who are, uh, we've had clergy on the show, and uh, they seem to be a little more open about it. But the the fact is that there are not a lot of people in the clergy who know about this. So uh, I would do some research if you are wondering about this in your own family. Uh, contact us if you want, so I'm probably opening the floodgates you know we're really swamped as it is with inquiries and desires you know and and requests for help well she didn't
1: she didn't mention that she thought her child was possessed she just oh no no no, no. I certainly
0: hope that's not the case but I'm just giving some ideas about you know how how you approach this oh yeah so never assume that's the case again if you keep whatever's happening with with your children keep it positive in the house bring the family together if you can uh, a lot of families have Issues that uh, have stress, and this there's no there's no hint of, of parasitical activity. A lot of the times there are. It has a lot to do with where you live, the energies uh, that are geotechnic, uh, strange things that seemingly unrelated uh, would have to do with this. So, uh, just again, try and keep it as positive as you can. Keep the the humor going. Keep the faith going. Keep all good things going, and you're, you're probably not going to have this problem. So I would say. Seek help very carefully with this. But again, if, if these things are happening, it could be indications of something else. Possession itself, in, in the uh, ultimate form, which is a sort of a almost a unification of the place in the multiverse where the person shares the life of the parasite. It's a complicated issue. Uh, is very rare. So anyway, uh, I don't know if that. Th- th- there's no satisfactory answer to the question, Maggie. I'm sorry. Uh, anyway, uh, the next one here: uh, Can possession come and go? Uh, yes, I have seen that. Uh, it. Looking back on it today, I wonder if it is it actually was possession in the classic sense. I have a very different approach to it today. Uh, so, but I'd say essentially yes. The parasites have cycles. I've seen in poltergeist activity where they sometimes will literally get worn out, disappear for a couple of years, and then come back. Although usually it's been dealt with by then. So you know, you, you make the break between the, the, the victim and the parasite. Um, Okay, possession. Okay, in other words, can somebody be be possessed and the demon goes? Yeah, that can happen. Uh, And that's the end of her question. So uh, I hope that was clear. But again, these are difficult questions. Uh, Often there are no clear answers to them. So uh, just stick, I'd say, if you can, you know, stick with us. Let us know. You can always contact us, Paul at behindtheparanormal.com or Ben at behindtheparanormal.com or call us on the show again 7661240 locally uh, or nationally 449 1240 1240 so there it is. All right we already read that we already read that talking about Ben being cute okay oh, here we so are sad. oh no th- now this is this is a really difficult one this is from a fellow in uh, uh, Ed in Biddeford Maine this is going to sound kind of crazy Okay, so I have an entity inside
1: my brain. It can listen to my thoughts, not read them. I, uh, communicate with it by a noise it makes in my inner right ear. Uh, once for yes, I phrase or rephrase each question so a yes is always the answer. A soft sound is sorta or no means no comment. Uh, I, I have tried everything and, um it won't leave. Some experts say you ha- you really have to want it to go. Wrong answer. That's a, a cop-out. It became active in the later part of September 2010. At this time, I do not believe anyone can help me. Uh, it's not negative, just a pain in the rear end quarters. Uh, thanks, radio broadcasting. Um. It's it scares the cat and the poor thing is is uh, timid. I'm, fanta- I'm uh, fatalistic twenty four seven. I've adapted. If you choose to help me, great. No suggestions, please. Uh, talk is free. I ask people to help a fellow human. No money, no help. If if I uh, don't pay the piper, I rot in hell. It's right, seen. Well, uh, whatever. All right. Th- that's anyway. good. All right. Well. It ends with thanks. Okay.
0: Well, Ed, uh, if you're listening or if you're going to listen to the podcast later, uh, I would say that a lot of the listeners might think, well, he's a guy who's you know going off the deep end. You know, However, you, it's difficult. You can't really make that judgment with people. Uh, sometimes they communicate things in ways that sound completely crazy, but they really do have things going on. Uh, I, I would say this is a classic example of a person, and Ed, you might not like what I'm going to say, who is very, very alone, that's no crime that happens to people, and uh, there, are, there sometimes can be influences uh, that, that are going on here. If, uh, however, you're, you're very physical with this, you're ringing in the ears, you've got uh, the these the, the sensations in the brain, all this kind of stuff. Everything you describe here could be interpreted as a as as, as a form of schizophrenia, actually, and could be interpreted as a psychosis. On the other hand, I've seen situations in psychiatric hospitals, and and doctors have almost agreed, where these things have occurred, but there is a paranormal aspect to them. So the fact is, I really don't know what to suggest. There are all kinds of questions you're going to get from me, such as, what is your medical history? Are you under any kind of medical treatment? I'm not wild about medical treatment because psychiatry has largely become a, a, bunch of, a, a drug deal situation. Yeah, Psychopharmacology medical. is what psychiatry is about today. They don't help people. They hand you pills yeah. it, with some notable exceptions. There are always people who are more traditional in their human-to-human approach, especially the people who are into transpersonal psychology. But generally, I don't like what I've seen develop in psychology and psychiatry over the last... Uh, 30 years or so. I
1: don't think most of the no. most of them don't. And one of the,
0: the most frustrating either. things about reading and dealing with these emails is they ask for help and you don't know what to tell them. Where, where, where do you send them? Who can you trust in this? Yeah. You know, if you've got something going on in your house, you got a bunch of goofy ghost hunters come along with their silly equipment they don't understand, their kids half the time. And self-appointed experts who have no training, no qualifications whatsoever, and everybody buys it. That really upsets me. And then you have a situation like this. I, I, I never got a medical degree, even though I worked in hospitals, but that was for pastoral reasons. Uh, I don't know what to tell you here. Um, I, I, I'll be in touch with you off the air, Ed, and, and see what what can be done. But I just don't. And we're certainly not going to charge anything. We don't. We don't do that. That's why we, you know, don't have a pot to put flowers in but we look at this this whole thing is kind of a ministry in a way see. so anyway um, I will be in touch I, I, I don't know what to tell you otherwise I need, I need the answers to some questions okay now here's one that came in on Facebook uh, from Richie Wagner since he put it on Facebook I assume he doesn't care if we use his name everybody can see Facebook hmm.
1: Okay. So Richie writes to us Exorcisms. If demons are nothing more than parasites from another universe, why would they answer to the Roman rites of exorcism? Uh, while I understand that not all exorcisms are real, and there are documented cases of those that are within the Catholic Church, Father, is uh, that Malachi or Malachi? Oh, Mal- Malachi Martin. Uh, Malachi. Yeah, uh, the, wow, here. Cheese and Yeah, Father right. Malachi Martin. Uh, was very vocal about this. Can you offer a bit more insight into this?
0: Okay. Uh, Yeah, now this keeps coming up. You know, why... uh, Well, first of all, I responded to Richie on Facebook. He said, what do you mean nothing more than parasites from another universe? I mean, (laughs) I think that's pretty spectacular. But why would they answer to the Roman rites of exorcism? As I've said in in response to other questions, they don't always respond to the Roman rite, or or the Roman ritual, as it's actually called, of exorcism. Uh, because, again, and I explained the whole faith thing. There is another factor in there that I haven't mentioned. I didn't mention it in the series, and I haven't mentioned it this evening. And that's the the kind of priest who performs this exorcism. And again, speaking in the context of the traditional Roman thing. There was in the end of the, it well, actually started around 311 A.D., uh, a thing known as Donatism. And it was later condemned as a heresy at the Council of Carthage in 411, 100 years later. But it was the belief that a priest has to be holy, or at least pretty much together and with it spiritually, in order to perform sacraments that have an effect. In other words, a lot of it has to do with um, the holiness of the given priest, especially in a situation like exorcism. Well, the Council of Carthage condemned that, saying it doesn't make any difference, as long as the priest is, is legitimately ordained, it doesn't make any difference what kind of jerk he is, that, that you know the sacraments are valid. Well, you know you look back on that, and we studied that in the seminary, and, actually, and I see a certain amount of concern for job security in that particular decision. Because if any of these guys had ever been in the modern exorcism and seen what goes on, as I did, uh, certain priests are not up to the job. They just aren't. Donatism, notwithstanding, and uh, the orthodox that 's a decision when the churches were still united, so the orthodox churches today would would agree with the uh, uh the against the donatists that that the priest is, is a priest and that's it um, sorry uh, there are plenty of situations where that has not held up uh, that i 've seen and I've only been involved in ten exorcisms over the, uh, the course of my particular career so um i don 't know that might be another factor maybe the priest isn't up to the job. I mean, I'm certain, you know, if, if a priest is... And the priests I worked with were very holy men. I respect them to this day. Most of them have passed on, but they they were up to the job. But I can see if a, if a priest was, you know, God forbid, uh, abusing children, uh, all the terrible scandals that have come up, and, and again, th- that I feel sorry for the, the many good priests who are in the vast majority who did not do that, you know, having their entire ministries tainted by these jerks who did. And I knew some of them. I, I, there are several seminary classmates of mine from days of yore who are currently in jail, believe it or not, uh, for this. But, I mean, th- this this is a factor. I can see, first of all, th- these, these things know all about you. Uh, I referred to a situation where I was involved in uh, an exorcism, and, of course, this thing turned to me and said, In perfect melee, the language of Malaysia we, we had to have it translated because it was this this thing was recorded, and it was telling me all about my father 's death There is no way of knowing these things and um, if you're fooling around or messing around if you're a priest, I can just see these things turning to you and telling you everything you ever did. this can real and it it if you lose credibility here in this situation, it really can be bad. So th- there may be a factor, despite Donatism and the combination of that, that, that 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 could be a reason why sometimes they don't respond to this. So that's another factor. It's a very complicated situation, and... Uh, if they um, they do respond to it, that's the other side of the question, I guess, Richie. Uh why would they if they're totally uninterested, non theological parasites from some other universe? They respond, as I explained before, because you have turned it into a weapon because of your faith. And that's why they respond. And say so it was ISIS. Um, the prophet use the If you have faith in it, you can turn it into a weapon against these things. So that's the best I can see. Malachi Martin, controversial guy, priest. I believe he was a Jesuit or is. I think he's. I don't know if he's still around, but no. wrote a number of books. Uh, not considered uh, the most uh, likable guy within the realms of the the uh, institutional church today. And I mean, there are a lot of people out there who are, who are working in the exorcism thing who are not canonical priests anymore. There's one bishop, I can't remember his name particularly, and people say, aha, Roman Catholic bishop. Boom. you know. Well, he's not. He's been, uh, I don't know, defrocked, but is not recognized by the legitimate Roman Catholic Church, and you have to consider that. He's called non-canonical. And there are a lot of non-canonical, self-appointed people out there wearing clerical garb who really should not be doing that. So that's another thing. I'm not saying Malachi Martin fits in that category, but he was not the most popular guy at the Vatican. I knew that. All right, so so much for that. What do we got here? This is from, oh, Steve Durand in Boston. It says we can use his name, so. Yeah, just rub it in, Dad.
1: Uh, Very interesting show, Paul and Ben. I have never heard an approach like yours. It's so scary because it makes so much sense. Anyway, in the Bible, it talks about more than one demon at a time being able to possess somebody. Have you ever run into that? Oh, wait, we already asked this question. Did we? Yeah.
0: Oh, how to get in this? Po- okay,
1: mm-hmm. All right, but I well. do rem- I do remember reading this question.
0: Okay, and have we ever run into it? And the answer was yes. Well, and the then answer you is yes. Out um, Bridgeport, and yeah, and we were talking about the, yeah, uh, and, the yeah. in the gospels certainly the garrison demoniac who was, um, you know, he said his name was Legion because there were many of them, yep. and we we often run into them working together in non-possession situations, as in poltergeist activity and in uh, this situation, they seem to be organized. They seem to have leaders. It's it's really. Pretty, pretty frightening when you think how intelligent they really are. So, okay. Well, here's one hopefully we haven't read before. Uh, there is no name... On, oh, here we go. There's no name on this one, as there usually isn't.
1: Okay, so the no name writes, uh, Shame on you, Paul. After all those years in the seminary not having any faith, faith in the name of Jesus, maybe you were more influenced by the demons you were fighting than you think. Using pagan idols like ISIS uh, can't be
0: the answer. All right. Well, here we go. You know, the unsigned uh, true believers. I mean, I never said anything like this. Nobody has more faith in the name of Jesus than I do. Just because I don't have the same faith you have doesn't mean that it's not legitimate. I'm constantly being uh, called on the carpet by people for not espousing their religious beliefs. Okay. Um, so I think I've fully explained this over the course of the last three shows. And um, as I say, Jesus is, I am the first one to put faith in that name, that holy name, that powerful name. So don't tell me. Uh, I think you just heard wrong, or you didn't listen to the whole show, one or the other. Anyway, uh, there's plenty of power in the name of Jesus, and don't make any mistake about that. So, so much for no name. All right. Well, How much time we got here, really? So, yeah, we have
1: like seven minutes.
0: Right. All right, here's another... They on the same subject. This is from Martin in Pittsburgh.
1: All right. So Martin writes, uh, one of your best shows, Paul and Ben, I've never heard that subject explained so well. And to see uh, what you've seen, Paul, chills. I do have one question I'm almost afraid to ask. How young was the youngest possession victim you've seen?
0: Uh, Twelve years old. Uh, that it, it's it's difficult especially when it seems like it's not their fault but we went through that in the show that what why would someone of that age who apparently was innocent uh why would they be you know the victim of some of these things and we got into issues of family and negativity here and there and when what could have happened and uh um, I don't know, so you wonder sometimes if, if there even is, at times, a theological perspective on this, because in the multiverse, again, we explained uh, last time that you can share the, live, you share the lives of all living things. It's one great big energy, and you're, you're a unique expression of that energy, and when you're in a possession situation of the worst kind, you're literally um, living where you are in the multiverse, where you share the life of this thing, and it knows it. And uh, that's about as far as it can go. So um, 12 years old is the answer to the question. Uh, Hopefully uh, there wouldn't be anybody younger than that. But anyway, okay. Um, Here's a local one from Lynn in Lincoln, Rhode Island, in our listening area here. All
1: right, so Lynn says, I couldn't turn off your show last week. I was so fascinated and scared. I wanted to know one thing. Can animals be possessed? Possessed.
0: That's a good question. I guess she doesn't know our cat. Uh, no, it, well, he's he's a pretty good guy when you get to know him. But uh, you know, we don't mean to scare people. It's just, you know, people are asking and asking and asking about this because of these movies that are coming out about it. It's just like it was in the 70s. And, again, you know, you can't dwell on this stuff. You dwell on, on the positive nature of it. And, all, and what I'm trying to do and what we're trying to do in these last two shows here, of course, has been to share my... I suppose, relatively unique experience with this and to see how how it it relates to um, explaining what this really is all about. And of course, as with most things, we apply a multiverse explanation to it because that doesn't make it any easier or any less frightening. But again, keep your mind on positive everyday things. Your friends, your family, they're your treasure. They're, They're your defense. They're your fortress. Okay, and certainly your faith. You do need some kind of belief system. Um, it's popular today to say, "Well, people make up the wrong religion." Well, well, do do what you have to do, but but get it into your system, and realize that these things can't touch you if you have the right defenses. And do not fool around with anything that's occult or negative or anything like that, because it's just going to get you into trouble. It's like stand Well, people have written in before Ben and said. Oh, I used a Ouija board. Well, we had, we had a cousin. She lived to be 104 in Florida, cousin by marriage. She yeah. used a Ouija board every day of her life. Talked to all her ancestors and all her friends. And she said, "Well, you know." And I mentioned, uh, I actually, I guess I actually used the word schmuck in one of my books. And she thought I was referring to her. And I said, "Look, you can stand in the middle of the highway all day long and not get hit by a bunch of, of cars, but chances are you will." And chances, you know, if you, on the Ouija board, you, you may have something that really is what it says it is. But is it worth the chance? There are other ways to live in the multiverse without punching holes in stuff and, and doing it dangerously. You can watch the traffic by standing on the side of the road. Anyway, that's perhaps a bad analogy. Anyway, that's, that's does a, pretty,
1: that's a pretty good analogy. I like that. I
0: like yeah, that. well, it's, it's true. Can animals be possessed? Yeah. I mean, I haven't seen it, but if you believe the Gospels, I mean, this, the, the, Jesus cast the uh, the demons into the uh, the herd of pigs, and they went flying down the slope into the Sea of Galilee, and they all drowned. Uh, there have been stories I've heard, although I say I haven't seen it myself. So as far as I know, the answer is yes. All right, Impressive. so you know, odd question, but legitimate. Okay, well, we're going to wrap it up here, I guess. Uh, Many thanks to our, our lovely producer, Denise Richards, and we'll see you next Monday, February 13th right here on WON 1240 AM and onworldwide.com, when Ben and I will welcome back maverick paranormal researcher Thomas P. Fusco, whom we like very much, but whose uh, unique ideas we're still trying to work out. His book's driving me crazy. Slowly getting through the book. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Uh, On our
1: regular CBS radio edition on Sunday, February 12th, in Boston, Pittsburgh, Detroit, and Seattle, We'll welcome, for the first time, Dr. Christopher Keating, who will tell us why the world will not end in, or will not end this year, I almost said in 2012, I keep forgetting it's 2012. Yeah. If he, if he's wrong, mm. we won't have him back again.
0: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. But And I, I have it on good authority that good old D'Elon may call in uh, our proponent. We'll see what, 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 where that goes. Anyway, we'll leave you this evening with a quote from that old sweetheart and American philosopher, William James. A great many people think they are thinking when they are merely rearranging their prejudices. Unquote.
1: And thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey, and we will see you next
0: time. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now. For another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.